Thank you so much, Ruth, and the musicians for leading us this morning. As we turn to God's word, let's make that our prayer, that we would see him high and lifted up. Great God, our loving Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your spirit moving in this place. Thank you for the privilege of being here. We thank you for your word which speaks to us. We thank you for these moments to sit quietly before you in your presence. And once again, our prayer is that you would open our ears and our eyes, and our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> 10 or 11 down, two to go. Dave is coming back. <laughs> I wonder how you keep going whenever you're under pressure. I think for me, one of the privileges of serving in this church has been to recognize that uh, behind the scenes, many of you are keeping going with all sorts of challenges, whether it's just juggling family life and busy jobs, whether it's coping with real setbacks and difficulties, health challenges, personal circumstances that few others know about. How do you keep going? Well, this morning I'd like to read the book of Jude, or the letter of Jude. I'm going to read the whole letter. You might want to keep it open in front of you, but I'm going to read it from the message. And I'd like to talk about how we keep going and how we are kept. <clears throat> Listen to the word of God. I, Jude, am a slave to Jesus Christ and brother to James, writing to those loved by God the Father, called and kept safe by Jesus Christ. Relax. Everything is going to be all right. Rest. Everything is coming together. Open your hearts. Love is on the way. Dear friends, I've dropped everything to write you about this life of salvation that we have in common. I have to write insisting, begging, that you fight with everything you have in you for this faith entrusted to you as a gift to guard and cherish. What has happened is that some people have infiltrated our ranks. Our scriptures warned us this would happen. Who beneath their pious skin and shameless, are shameless scoundrels their design is to replace the sheer grace of our God with sheer license, which means doing away with Jesus Christ, our one and only master. I'm laying this out as clearly as I can. Even though you once knew all this well enough and shouldn't need reminding, here it is in brief. The master saved a people out of the land of Egypt. Later, he destroyed those who defected. 
And you know the story of the angels who didn't stick to their post, abandoning it for other darker missions. But they're now chained and jailed in a black hole until a great judgment day. Sodom and Gomorrah, which went to sexual rack and ruin along with the surrounding cities that acted just like them, are another example, burning and burning and never burning up. They serve still as a stock warning. This is exactly the same program of these latest infiltrators. Dirty sex, rule and rulers thrown out, glory dragged in the mud. The archangel Michael who went to the mat with the devil as they fought over the body of Moses wouldn't have dared level him with a blasphemous curse but said simply, no you don't. God will take care of you. But these people sneer at anything they can't understand. And by doing whatever they feel like doing, living by animal instinct only, they participate in their own destruction. I'm fed up with them. They've gone down Cain's road. They've been sucked into Balaam's error by greed. They're cancelled out in Korah's rebellion. These people are warts at your love feasts as you worship and eat together. They're giving you a black eye, carousing shamelessly, grabbing anything that isn't nailed down. They're puffs of smoke pushed by gusts of wind, late autumn trees stripped clean of leaf and fruit, doubly dead, pulled up by the roots, wild ocean waves leaving nothing on the beach but foam of their shame, lost stars in outer space on their way to the black hole, Enoch, the seventh after Adam, prophesied of them, look, the master comes with thousands of holy angels to bring judgment upon them all, convicting each person of every defiling act of shameless sacrilege, of even of every dirty word they've spewed of their pious filth. They're grumpers, the belly acres, grabbing for the biggest piece of pie, taking big saying anything they think will get them ahead. But remember, dear friends, that the apostles of our master, Jesus Christ, told us this would happen. In the last days, there will be people who don't take these things seriously anymore. They'll treat them like a joke and make religion of their own whims and lusts. These are the ones who split churches, thinking only of themselves. There's nothing to them, no sign of the Spirit. But you, dear friends, carefully build yourselves up in this most holy faith by praying in the Holy Spirit, staying right at the center of God's love, keeping your arms open and outstretched, ready for the mercy of our Master, Jesus Christ. This is the unending life, the real life, Go easy on those who hesitate in the faith. Go after those who take the wrong way. Be tender with sinners, but not soft on sin. The sin itself stinks to high heaven. And now to him who can keep you on your feet, standing tall in his bright presence, fresh and celebrating. To our one God, our only Saviour, through Jesus Christ, our Master, be glory, majesty, 
strength and rule before all time and now and to the end of all time. Yes. I'm going to talk this morning about one of the greatest promises in Scripture, and it's at the end of this book of Jude. The promise is that as we keep the faith, we are kept from falling. But before we get to the second last book of the Bible, I want to rewind right back to the beginning. I'm going to see what this keeping is about for families and communities. And so go with me for a wee bit of a detour as we think about keeping and what it means in Genesis chapter 4. You know the famous words that Cain said in response to God's question about his brother, am I my brother's keeper? And he's speaking about relationship. It's that kind of keeping that's about holding on to one another. Before that, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, God placed Adam in the garden to keep it. And he gave him a responsibility. Relationship and responsibility go right back to chapter 1, where in verse 26, God says, Let us make man in our image. And that responsibility is given as being part of God's image, where he says, so that they can rule over all of the creatures. And here we see this double theme of relationship and responsibility coming right from the way in which God made us and deployed us in his creation as those who are reflecting who he is and being responsible for all that he's done. The relationship is then expressed right throughout Genesis chapter 12. God speaks to Abram. He's invited to believe God's promises. And the biblical language for this is covenant where this relationship is really about something that God has done, it's not just any old relationship, but it's packed with promise and shows how a relationship with God is a model for human flourishing. And then the promise goes to his descendants <clears throat> as they become a great nation and that promise is fulfilled and Joseph eventually comes to rule in Egypt and be responsible for the rescue of nations during a famine. And the biblical word for that kind of responsibility is kingdom. And God leads his people out into a land of their own. And these two themes run right through scripture. As God calls us into a relationship with himself. And challenges us with the responsibility to rule as he intended. Right through to the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. 
and even in Revelation, the very last book of the Bible. You've made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. So as we think about who we are, why we're here, think about God's dealings with us, think about this double responsibility of being invited into a relationship and given a responsibility. Here's a diagram that might help a little bit. Maybe not. But it involves both a high invitation. You are called into this special relationship as well as a high responsibility to be rulers in this world under him. We're called into the relationship where God pays all the costs involved in letting us into this covenant. And the message is, come. The message is, you're welcome. And this other axis about high responsibility, as we exercise the kind of kingdom living that's about God's rule, it creates this powerful place of restoring his rightful authority. And the message is, go. We're not here to just live in this little isolated bubble, but we are dwellers of this kingdom in this amazing place that God calls us into with a high invitation and gives us huge responsibility to serve in his name and to rule the world as he intended. So how does all this relate to us? Being called into this relationship and sharing God's rule is an incredibly exciting place to be where we become the hands and the eyes and the mouthpiece of Jesus. And since this is what God calls us to, it is what the church is meant to be. That's why we're here. It's maybe good to remind ourselves now and again of all that's going on as we go through our routine week by week and have the privilege of coming to this place. And so in practice, he empowers us to know him deeply and to make him known. It means we're learning to be disciples in this place of Jesus through getting to know him deeply as our Lord and Master. And as we go out from here, we go to bless our front lines, whether it's in Stormont or wherever it is, and offer Jesus to those who have lost their way. So how are we doing with keeping God's creation and keeping our brothers and sisters? Are we a community that's able to invite people into a relationship that keeps one another one of the difficulties, of course, of inviting anybody here is that there's no room for more. But are we exercising the responsibility of following God's rule in a way that brings blessing to the world around us? And that's very much part of this fruitfulness on the front line theme that some of the house groups are, are looking at. And I want to say this morning that there is solid ground for believing that we can keep the faith. 
even in the face of huge trials and risks. And this life of relationship and responsibility is full of promise for us. Jude bookends his letter with these two great words. In verse 1, we are being kept for Jesus. In verse 5, he is able to keep you from falling. So how are you being kept? Maybe life has left you a bit ragged. You're wondering, can I really keep going? Is it not easier just to quietly withdraw? I wonder if you've had a phone call in the last week, maybe in the last 24 hours, uh, about mis-selling of PPIs. Uh, I have lost count this week of how many phone calls I've had about this. As I've rushed to the phone to get a phone call from somebody in Windsor who needs me out there, and I get a recorded message about uh, how money is waiting for me, uh, and I'm due a refund, and apparently UK banks expect to pay out a total of 15 billion in these few years on these, this whole issue of mis-selling. We like things to live up to what's promised, and that applies to products. Famous advert, it does what it says on the tin. It applies to politicians who might say, read my lips, no more taxes. And it applies to philosophies and the things that we want to put our trust in. Here's a little commercial break for a minute. Skin aging can leave you believing your glass is half empty. But we believe visibly improved volume and lift can be found within. Release your skin's potential with Full of Promise from Philosophy, our new advanced firming and lifting skincare collection that takes your skin to a higher place where volume is visibly restored, contours appear more defined, and skin appears more lifted. I see a few people nodding. I'm sure there's a few uh, users of Full of Promise. Uh, I don't know, but I don't know much about it. Can't say anything. However, what is your experience of promise fulfillment? Have you had the high invitation of relationship with God among his people? Has it been a high responsibility of seeing his kingdom being built? Or maybe the church has been a place of disappointment and empty promises. I love this short letter because it tracks the course of our calling and our challenge without skipping any of the risks. And it doesn't hedge around the promised blessings and rewards. And I've just got three questions that I want to think about for the rest of our time together. What makes this a church of promise? What drains the church of hope? And how can we stay on track? The reason for the introduction about covenant and kingdom or relationship and responsibility is to help us get beyond the consumer idea of church we know this already, but the welcome and the serving doesn't just come from people who are wearing the lanyards or orange sashes, as have been referred to this morning. And it's not just 
the pastors and the elders who will serve. It's not just the new deacons who will be appointed on Wednesday who will look after us. Jude addresses all his readers and he says, you are all called and loved and kept. And these three characteristics shape our identity. That's who we are. Each one of us, as we look around, are people who are, according to Jude, loved by God. Our value and our worth is determined by the fact that God loves us. And he's called us into this relationship and committed to our well-being. And therefore, however we're feeling this morning, our identity is not in our work or our leadership or our possessions. It's only found in understanding that we are loved by God. And this is the key to being people of influence and promise. And so our identity is that we're loved. That's why we're here. God so loved us. But we often ask, well, will it survive? And a second question is, will this church be here tomorrow? And that's a question that runs deep in the hearts of many of us. Other churches have disappeared. One that was the Windsor of 50 years ago in Belfast, closed just two or three weeks ago. And Jude's response is not whether we'll create a legacy, but what matters is that we are kept by God for the return of Christ. Any fears we have about what might happen in the future must fall into perspective, knowing that we're kept by the hand of God. And therefore, it changes how we look at the future. Our survival isn't based on our accomplishments, our positions, but a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's grounded in that relationship. And then a third question is, well, why are we here? Jude's answer is very short. We're here because we're called. That's what he says right at the outset. You might think you're here because you chose to come here. You might think you're here because your family have been here. Jude says you're here because you're called. What's the meaning of my life in this church at this time? It is to be a child of God to be used as a servant, to live my life for his glory and his honour. We're not called in any specific type of church or particular ministry within it in this way. This is really referring to us being called to live that resurrected life in such a way that points people to God. So influencing and blessing one another is about God, it's not about us. And so this is the es essence of a life of promise. It starts with a vital relationship between us and God. And as we look around, as we cast our eyes around this company of people this morning, we're looking at people who are loved by the Father, who are kept for Jesus 
and they're here because they are called to live this kind of resurrected life. And so as I receive a cup of coffee this morning from someone, or I smile at the person whose name I've forgotten again, I'm encountering people who have heard that high invitation and who are working out what it means to imitate his rule. What a privilege to be here as we think about the persecuted church today where people are cut off from their church family and their own biological family. But it's not easy. Jude includes lots of warnings that we'll look at in a minute about reasons why we should be careful. And there are examples of churches getting lost that are not hard to find, but I don't need to look beyond my own mirror to see fear and anxiety and insecurity. And the more I try to make a difference and influence others, the more I need to depend on and center my life on this God who has called me and loved me and keeps me. It is seeing how God gives us this high invitation and we work out as lovers of people and keepers of relationships who are placed in a calling that's above labels. So what makes this church full of promise? It is that we are called and loved and kept. But what drains the church of hope? What are the threats that Jude is wanting to highlight? There's a whole lot in this letter that we will not get into. And uh, you can ask somebody else about angels and uh, all sorts of extra biblical references that come up. But Jude just loved the opportunity to rave about how good it is to share in this common life. And yet he was concerned about the danger of losing everything. He was rejoicing in all that they had in common, but he felt he had to lay out some important things. And the threat for his readers wasn't being noticed. It was coming right in under their noses. And yet it was denying Jesus as Lord and turning God's grace into a sort of self-centered indulgence of sinful desires of hearts. And the frightening thing is that Jude shows how ungodly greed and pride is an ever-present threat. And he wants his readers to think about those examples in the past and not assume it would never happen to them. And so for us today, let's not assume it couldn't happen to us. In the middle of Jude, he gives five powerful images, very graphic pictures of the way empty promises drain people. And as we look at those couple of verses, think just of these people that infiltrated the congregations that Jude was concerned about. Don't be naive, Jude says, about shepherds who using the Ezekiel 36 image, are really more interested in feeding themselves. <clears throat> People who are supposed to provide for others but are more interested in their own needs. Jude says, watch out for them. 
And the second is about clouds that promise rain. But it's so much more than just rain. We have enough rain. Here is a vision, a picture of the farmer in a parched land, tilling the ground, watching the cloud coming, thinking of the nourishment that that would bring. And his vision is of crops ripening and food on the table. But the promise isn't delivered. And so churches too can be vulnerable to vision that's set out, that fails. Or these trees, these fruit trees that he describes as being doubly useless. Influencers who like trees are neither rooted nor producing anything of value. Anything that's going to cause growth in their community. They're just there blowing around like tumbleweed. And then the wild waves of the sea. People who have such power and influence but leave a trail of devastation. They make a big splash and they point people towards them but not towards mission or empower them to serve. And the last of these images, I'd love uh, Ken or somebody to come and explain to us about what's happening in P67 or or whatever that comet is called, where philia is presently lodged, or maybe not. But it's this image of a, a comet or a, a shooting star going across the sky. People who appear with lots of excitement, but no sense of direction, and they throw others off course. And that's the image, or one of these graphic pictures that Jude gives. As he says, there are people who will come into the church with all sorts of visionary promises. They paint a pretty depressing picture, a deadening set of influences that leave room for huge disappointment. And they're directed particularly at leaders, though not exclusively. So I think we as leaders need to constantly examine our motives and repent where we have failed to deliver. But there, for all who share the blessings of being called and kept and loved. And so Judah said to each one of us this morning, don't ignore these important issues of why we're here and what our calling is and what we should be doing. Will I use the power God's entrusted to me to influence others or to freeload on the grace of God? to satisfy my own greed. Well, what makes a church full of promise? And what drains a church of hope? So how can we stay on track? Is there hope here for a church that's serious about seeking to come together in relationship and to go out as those who are seeking to bring God's kingdom around this area of Lisburn Road. Verses 20 through to the end of the letter. <clears throat> Jude explains very clearly how we can be people of promise. And he sets out very simple steps to follow. Simple steps 
that will release God's power into our lives. Simple steps that will keep us going whenever we feel we're about to break up or give up. They're not exclusive tips for leaders. They're not for people who just don the lanyard. They apply to every person who wants to enjoy the promise of life in sync with the one who loves us and is up for all the kingdom challenges of seeing how God rescues a broken world. And so if that is us this morning, listen to these challenges. Verses 20 to 23 say, But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. And I could elaborate on these, but I think we should just reflect on what it is that is being offered to us as we come together in this high invitation and what the responsibilities and privileges are for us as we think about ruling under God's authority. And Jude says, what you need is the word of God. Build yourselves up in your most holy faith. Just as at the beginning of the book, he said, contend for this faith that was once passed down to you. So he's saying, build yourselves up on it, feed in it. And prayer in the Holy Spirit where we are asking the Holy Spirit to so direct and guide us that we're praying according to his will. Lord, I can't do this anymore. I seem to have lost my way. It doesn't seem to have the same impact on my life it had when it was fresh. And wait, wait for the Lord's coming. He is coming. Hang in there. And the fourth is care for those who are struggling. Here's a challenge to look around and not say, what can people do for me? But how can I care for those who are struggling? For those who just seem to be barely hanging together. And Jude has very clear instructions. He's got harsh words for the people who are draining the church. But he's got very tender words for those who are struggling in the church. He said, snatch them from the fire. Yeah, don't get involved in the mess of their lives, but reach out to them. Bring them in. Show mercy. Love one another deeply. I'd like to suggest we just take a moment and ask God to show us ways in which we can live in fully engaged relationships and exercise responsibility and maybe come to him and say, Lord, I can't hang on much longer. I've felt the disappointment of empty promises. Or I feel as if I've been carrying too much and I'm just about ready to fall. 
Ask God to affirm his call on your life and his love and his commitment to keep you. And if this applies to you, then I invite you just in a moment to renew your calling by repeating the great words of the benediction that will be on the screen shortly. It is to the God who holds us. It's to the one who loves us. And it's the one that we point others to as we exercise influence in this church. Let's respond as we think about areas maybe that we need to pay attention to. Let's encourage one another with these great words. And if you are hearing God speak to you today, then join me in saying these words of encouragement to one another. And I'll hand back to Ruth after this. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God our Saviour be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and evermore. Amen.